Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. What a lot of business books, though, are, and certainly a lot of business articles, they're written retrospectively by someone who is successful, and then they look retrospectively and go, okay, here's what I did. But what they don't talk about is the them they had to become such that they did those things. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. As mentioned in the last episode, our education system is not designed to teach us how to embody what we learn and change at the level of being. It's a completely mental system of tests and regurgitation. Then by the time we reach early adulthood, we tend to crystallize at the level of identity and never change again. That's not what we offer at Clear and Open. We offer you the opportunity to try on and use different forms of being and perhaps break free of the system of doing that you've settled into over time. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. One of my teachers once said to me, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. It's a cool little phrase. So certainly as a, a practical, practically minded adult, you don't have enough time or resources necessarily to constantly re-examine everything you thought was true every day. <laughs> you know, children have a lot more sort of leisure time to be forming their beliefs and the, you know, they're not raising children themselves. They don't have a job. They, they can be one thing one day and another thing the next day and there aren't significant consequences, right? So adults have a lot less flexibility in, on purpose in one way. Right? You get married if you're uh, a fundamentalist uh, Muslim and then you marry another fundamentalist Muslim and then you change all of your views three weeks later, that creates some problems. You become you know, a Christian evangelical. Well, that's going to create a significant amount of inconveniences for you. Right? Um, or if you have a business that is about snelling, sell, selling snow cones to uh, inner city youth and then you decide actually that... Um, you know, snow cones are the root of all evil and you really need to be selling shoelaces to people in Africa and everything changes, that's going to be have a significant economic impact on you, right? So as adults, we're very practically minded and we want things to stay more or less the same. So that's the good, true thing behind it. But the problem happens is when that truth goes too far and at around age, whatever, 22, 25, 28, we just crystallize and we never change again. And then all of the information that comes at us is coming through an unconscious filter that says, oh, I'm open to learning new things, parentheses, but I will not change a damn thing. That's the unconscious part. 
And so you meet people who have self-images of being very open-minded, but their behavior shows that they are absolutely committed to being the same person for the next 10,000 days that they are right now. And that's, again, aided and abetted by our education system that doesn't demand, encourage, invite, require any kind of change at the level of being. It's incidental. Right? Can you imagine being taught public speaking in, in high school? And, you know, in addition to teaching you the outline of a five minute presentation or, you know, how to get the audience's attention in the beginning and how it's powerful to end with a quotation, all this sort of content stuff. They also gave you instruction about who you needed to be to be a great speaker and said, well, in order to get an A in this class, the you you are now as a speaker needs to be different by the end of the class. You need to have a bigger presence, more confidence, you know, make eye contact with audience members and, and not have it shake you. You know, the kind of things that uh, they teach you in, you know, undergraduate kind of acting schools. Act, acting school is a becoming thing. That kind of stuff is a becoming thing. You learn how to, how to have presence. Well, what is that? That's not really a doing. Although there are techniques related to it, it's a being. It's about changing who you are. Because if you become an actor, it's not just about saying the lines with certain tones. You have to become that actor. You know, apparently, uh, what's his name? The guy who played uh, uh, Lincoln, uh, Daniel Day Lewis. He's a, a method actor. And apparently, during the uh, filming of Lincoln, he stayed dropped in to the character of Lincoln for like three months. That was his, just like, you know, wake all of his waking hours, he just was Lincoln. That's not a doing, you see. That's a being thing. And that's what method acting is about. It takes that really seriously, where the assumption is that you have to be whatever it is that's being called for. And then the doing of the blocking where you're moving and the saying of the lines, all of that is downstream of that being. So... All this is to say is that kind of learning for most people is completely off of your radar. I probably first learned it in martial arts. Whereas uh, one of my martial arts teachers used to say, if you haven't shifted your being before they attack, it's too late. It's too late. You, You have to be centered, grounded, attentive before the attack. You can't do it during the attack. It's too late. And that's experienceable in arts like like Aikido. And Aikido is a, it's a, it's an art that focuses at the level of being. And as a sort of interesting and relevant aside, these kinds of martial arts are dying. There are plenty of dojos that are still called Aikido, but more and more uh, martial arts, especially since the advent of uh, mixed martial arts, MMA, that started after the um, ultimate fighting championships that started about 15 years ago, it became so doing focused about you know ground fighting and winning and this whole sort of competitive circuit arose that wasn't so important in most arts at that time. It became so much more about doing. And because, we're, again, we're conditioned to think in terms of doing rather than being, then the strip mall kinds of taekwondo and karate studios are far more popular and become actual franchises rather than... Uh, you know, in, in internal art, that's in the just in martial arts world, an internal art means 
that fundamentally the art is about changing who you are, how you're being first. And then as a secondary expression of that, there are techniques you can move your hands here, you move your body there. And external art, uh, one way of talking about it is you can see what's going on from across the room in an external art. With an internal art, you can't. So like uh, Bruce Lee, his style of Kung Fu was very much an internal art. And very few people actually understand this. But you know, he, he was one of the people who uh, made famous the one-inch punch where he would, he would put their, your fingers, his fingers on someone's chest. And then in the distance, he had more than one inch really, three or four inches. But in the distance from there to make a fist and then and he would just do a, a light punch the person, he could send someone flying across the room. That's not a terribly difficult thing to learn how to do. I'm actually decent at it, enough to make a little bit of a show. Not as not nearly as good as Bruce Lee, but I because it, I practiced that for like a couple of years. And what you have to do in order to to, to accomplish that feat is you have to find find the exact right of relaxation and extension. So that when you push or punch, it's easier to learn with a push. When you push on the person's chest, you feel that force translate all the way down into your feet. If you're too tight, there's no translation of, of feeling of energy because it's all going to be in the arm. If you're just a noodle, well, then there's no force behind it. But there's this very narrow, careful window whereas you, where you're extended. It's sort of like, a, imagine a fire hose. You know, a fire hose is not rigid, but when there's water going through it, it feels like it's rigid. It's like that. You make your body like a fire hose where it's, there's movement and there's flow and it's pliable. It's not contracted, but it's not an empty fire hose either. And that's a, that's a quality of a state of neurology and musculature. And when you master it, when you push someone, they, they'll fly across the room because you've translated the force of the floor through your hand. That's how you do that. It's not magic, it's physics. And when you do that with a punch, well, watch out. That can break bones. So it's, it's not a mystery, but that takes a way longer to learn. It takes years to be able to do that versus, you know, put your foot here, put your hand there. Great, here's a colored belt. Cost you thirty dollars. See you next week, and that's where the world is going. Not only are we conditioned that way, but it factors it connects into the uh, instant gratification thing. So all of this is to say, the teachings of clear and open are not formulas for you to follow. They're not mazes for you to go through. It's not information for you to regurgitate. They're notions, philosophies, metaphysics, ideas to try on and become and use in a hungry, curious, growth-oriented, who am I becoming kind of way. And so when I do these courses, the assignments that I give are invitations to put things into practice. And I suspect a lot of times from the amount of feedback I get based on the uh, when I ask for digestions and, and ask people how the assignment was, I suspect a lot of people are not doing the assignments. Precisely because those assignments bring what was taught from the head level down into the embodiment level or invite the embodiment level. And 
there's just a disconnect there in people and they don't see that if they don't put it into action, they don't get it. You're only learning about something, not actually becoming something. And how this relates to leadership, maybe the final summation here. The reason all of this is important is because leadership is fundamentally a state of being. It's about who you are. And this is why it sometimes makes me laugh. Other times it makes me cry when I see the five things leaders do, you know, or uh, the top 10 most successful secrets of the blah, 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 you know, or, you know, so, so often, so many business books like uh, Shoe Dog is a really good example. Right? Shoe Dog is a really fun book. I loved it. And it's easy to look at that book and, and, Look through the lens of like, well, what did the, the founder of Nike do that made it so successful? But what's kind of cool about that book is if you look for that in the book, you don't really find a compelling answer there. And he doesn't do a lot of preaching, if, if I remember it right. Maybe I just didn't notice because I don't hear that kind of stuff very often. But he doesn't like, it's not organized like, here are the 10 things to make a successful company. You can be just like me and start a Nike. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's a war-torn, difficult, you know, heart-wrenching, like you know, he's on the verge of no money for years. And you know, the main thing I got from that is just a dogged persistence. You know, like he just was committed, like it was just in his bones. He had to make that thing work. And you know, it was one in probably a hundred thousand people who would have that kind of commitment given the kind of adversity and difficulty he had. But the the will he had to make it work was uh, you know, phenomenal. And there was a lot of dysfunction in the business too, and he talks about that. So what a lot of business books though are, and certainly a lot of business articles, they're written retrospectively by someone who is successful, and then they look retrospectively and go, okay, here's what I did. right? But what they don't talk about is the them they had to become such that they did those things, how they were shaped by adversity, how they were shaped by failure. You know, I've heard, I heard two business owners once talking, uh, big business owners, and uh, they were talking to each other and sort of laughing. They say, yeah, I can't really take anybody seriously until they've lost a million dollars. That was what they said. And the behind that, and they were sort of joking about it, but what they're saying is there's certain things you just can't learn and can't become until you've lost that amount of money. And uh, I haven't lost a million dollars. I've lost six figures though. And it changed me for sure. Changes your relationship to life, to yourself, to money. When you rebuild it, it it gives you a kind of confidence. Like, wow, it all came back. It for me, it changed the the way I. Uh, uh, it, it built trust in life. Like, wow, I lost all of this, and it all came back. Or I somehow created. It's like, wow, life's kind of taking care of me in this way. Because, as a small aside, that isn't an aside. Money isn't in. The green ink on white paper. Money is energy. So if you're generating value and something happens and you lose all that, all a bunch of money, it will come back because the money is in who you are, because the value is in who you are. 
may take a while, but it will come back because that's, that value is in your manifestation dynamic. You can't really lose it in a way. Sometimes people lose a pile of money and it doesn't come back. Usually that's because the, the, they never really earned that money in the first place. It was given to them, they inherited it or whatever. And uh, Shane, I appreciate the uh, request to do the one inch punch, um, but I don't have a dem- <laughs> I don't have, I could do it if I had like a hundred pound punching bag, I could do that alone. It wouldn't be very impressive. But uh, yeah, I don't have anything to move. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Another time. Fly to Maui and we'll do this next week for a few minutes. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.